All right. It is great to see you. It's great to gather in his presence together, isn't it? It's always a wonderful thing to enjoy uh, what we enjoy together. It's kind of an amplified sense of God's nearness to us, and we're grateful for that. I have, under the impression, I've been told that Mingus High School is celebrating their graduation this week. But I want you to know that there's uh, somebody in our midst that uh, has already uh, had a graduation, so I thought I'd show you a picture. Uh, not too long ago, uh, this, <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad some of you got that. That's me in the middle there. Uh, there's been some changes since my high school graduation. Some of you always wondered what color my hair used to be. There it is. Um, and there, I, I'm not just doing this because it's graduation time. This will tie in in a second. I don't just throw this up there to uh, show you my wonderful parents who are now with God. And uh, we're, I, I haven't told you what year this was. Just, just two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, of course. Um, the year is what's related to what I'm about to read. Uh, this is a book by Billy Graham called The Holy Spirit. We're in session five of his presence. Today is the conclusion of this series, and it is about now is the time. And so uh, I, I was struck by many, many quotes from Billy Graham's book on the Holy Spirit, which we've been covering the Holy Spirit in this series, his presence. I want to begin with this quote, and I'll put it on the screen for you. We face a dark time in the history of God's people. In spite of some encouraging signs, the forces of evil seem to be gathering for a colossal assault on the work of God in the world. Satan has unleashed his power in a way perhaps unparalleled in the history of Christian church, of the Christian church. If ever there was a time we needed renewal, it is now. It is now. Now, I want you to notice that Billy Graham wrote this. It's on page 316, which I just read off of, in the book, The Holy Spirit, in 1978. And that is why I showed you that picture. 1978 was my high school graduation uh, year. And so there is kind of an interesting thing, because I thought, wow, that was a great year. And that is not what Billy Graham was saying. Billy Graham was looking at the big picture, and as a high school student, I was just looking at my little picture. It was a great year, and he was thinking it was a uh, really dark time with a colossal assault from Satan and his forces against the church in that day. And then he goes on to write about a great awakening in American history in the 1800s, and he relates it to our need, and then um, I want to read you another quote of his before we move on. He writes, in the midst of the vast problems which face our world, Christians are strangely silent and powerless almost overwhelmed by the tides of secularism. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. If you think about that quote in 1978, 
Now, here's my opinion. Here's my thought, and it's just my opinion. I don't know if you would be in agreement with me. 1978 is a bright year compared to 2021. The darkness has gotten much darker. My opinion, I've only been ministering for 38 years now, and it's getting darker and harder to reach people in our culture. And it's really interesting that he says that Christians back in 1978 were like silent and powerless and overwhelmed by secularism. And I'm thinking, oh, it's worse now. We are more silent than ever, it seems like, as people that are in our culture interacting with others and more overwhelmed by this secularism that's taking place today. There seems to be a a sense of greater sense of, I'm not sure that I'm making a difference and I'm not even sure how to make a difference anymore today as opposed to 1978. At least that's my opinion. That's my thought. And if that's true... Houston, we have a problem. And this problem needs to be diagnosed quickly because the church is this ship that we're on and we are launched by Jesus Christ to accomplish a mission and we're failing in the mission that he's launched us to accomplish and so we need to diagnose the problem and move forward in his presence to see a great awakening in America again that he describes in this book in the 1800s. And there's been other awakenings and other revivals and really dynamic things taking place even in 2021. But where there's a great problem, here's the good news. There is a fabulous and wonderful opportunity because Jesus Christ is the answer. And so we need to kind of look at four things today. And point number one is this. Diagnosis. If there is a problem, we need a diagnosis, and we need Jesus' diagnosis. And so we're going to turn first to Matthew 5.13, because he gives us the diagnosis. His diagnosis is this, that the salt has lost its saltiness. Let's read it. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness. Now, who's the salt of the earth? You. You who? That sounds weird. Um, You believers... (laughs) are the salt of the earth. How can it be made salty again if you lose your saltiness? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If you've been around for a while, you've probably had people tell you that salt in the ancient times was a very valuable commodity. And this valuable commodity was more than just flavoring for food. In a day without refrigeration, salt was used a lot to preserve foods longer and to keep things from decay and corruption. And so it was a very important commodity. And then Jesus says this, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, it almost sounds like, whoa, the church has lost its saltiness and it can't be made salty again. I don't think he's saying that. He's saying this really strong warning. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, I have this thought that I don't know if it's a thought like you would have, but it's the thought that goes a little bit like this. I've seen a lot of Christians um, just throw out the word throw out in this sentence. Why? Because of their theology. In their theology, they think it is impossible for a believer to be thrown out of their faith because they're a believer. And yet, 
He's talking to those who are the salt of the earth, and if the salt of the earth loses its saltiness, then it's thrown out. And I just want to urge you not to throw out the word throw out, because if you throw out the word throw out, then the warning that Jesus is giving, which is a huge warning to us, will then be completely gutted of the power of its warning, and we'll just go, well, we can't really be thrown out because we're believers, And yet, the way I read scriptures is there's a lot of people that think they're believers that were thrown out, and at the end, they go, Lord, Lord, and they're confused because they've been thrown out, and so don't throw out the word throw out. Instead, let's remedy this diagnosis because we have a problem. If we don't take this seriously, we will just let... Somebody else deal with it, and we just keep going on our merry way. And what I'm saying, and what I'm trying to say at this point is this. The time is now for each of us to deal seriously with such warnings for our own lives. And don't just read stuff for other people. And think about how they really need to fix this in their life because they're really lousy salt. I'm really also curious and amazed that Jesus applies the problem diagnosis not to the sinful unbelievers of the world. This world is getting dark and becoming problematic and is having a hard time, Jesus says, because it's the believer's fault. We want to point fingers at all those wicked, unbelieving sinners out there that are destroying our world and destroying our nation. And Jesus saying, hello, it's not their fault. It's their nature to be corrupted and become dark because they're dead. Dead things decay. It's your job, you who are alive and made alive by the Spirit of God, it's your job to be the salt and keep this country from going and decaying. You bring the life from a decaying country, not the unbeliever who's already dead. Bring the kingdom into the darkness. Bring the light into the darkness. And so let's talk about remedy. Point number two is remedy. So the first remedy we've already looked at, you are the salt of the earth. The second remedy is verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is the good news. You are the remedy. This is, now often we think of this as teaching, and it is, but it's far more than that. Jesus is teaching, yes, but he's casting a vision for your life. You are the light of the world. He's giving you a vision for who you are to be. This is his will for you. This is his will for me. And because of what he's done, he's giving us a vision that's huge. It is fantastic. It is great. He is not teaching merely information here. Let's hang on to this. This is inspiration for your life right now. Now, some of you are used to, you're actually in the habit of, you take away information from this place and you're thinking, I need to apply it later. Today is not that day. I've I've decided, you know what, we're going to break this habit. Today is the day where now is the time to apply. The time is now, not this afternoon. 
not this week, not next month, not next year when I get my life together, when I feel like it, someday, now is the time. So I'm going to ask you at this point, right now, bow your heads. Do you agree with his vision for your life? That you are the light of the world? Or are you in a disagreement with Jesus? Do you want his vision for your life to become a greater reality? Do you want your life to shine brighter than it's shining right now? If so, in the quietness of your own heart, tell him so. Ask him for his help. Because you cannot shine on your own. Amen? Remember Moses' shining face? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're familiar with the, the longing of Moses' heart to see God. He uh, wanted to see God face to face, and God said, oh, no, 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 no. That will kill you. Um, but come up here, and I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and after I pass by, I will reveal the backside of my glory, so to speak. And in Moses' interaction and time spent with God on the mountain... This glory of God transferred to Moses' being in such a way that was freaky and weird and scared the people to death because he came off this mountain and literally his face glowed. The shine was not metaphorical. It ended up being real. And that's just so weird. I believe it really happened. And, and it freaked out the people so much that Moses would wear a veil so that they wouldn't just get so distracted. And I think this veil that uh, hid the glory actually began to hide the fact that the glory was diminishing over time also. Now, I want us to remember that shining face, but I want to take that gem. There's already a gem there. How did Moses' face shine? <laughs> think about that. He wanted to be close to God, so close that God would reveal himself to him. That's, that's what God answered for him. There's a gem right there, but let's dig a little bit deeper and see if we can expose a gleam of a, a brighter gem still. Because in Deuteronomy 18, we are told that there was going to be one that's like Moses who would be coming. And that Moses himself said, when that one comes, it's like me, a prophet like me, listen to him. And what's interesting is that Moses was not only a prophet, he was a mediator of the whole Old Covenant, okay? And there's going to be a prophet like Moses who's going to be a mediator of another covenant coming. And this likeness, as it turns out, is a likeness that's just not similar, but actually greater and we read about the coming of Jesus and something that Jesus did on a mountaintop as well when his face glowed. Now, if you want to read about the Mount of Transfiguration, you can read that in, the, in multiple Gospels and they describe it, but all of the descriptions match in this way. He glowed with this glory that was way, way brighter than Moses' glory. 
His face, in one gospel, says, shone like the sun. Another gospel talked about his clothing even glowed like glistening lightning. His whole being was just so glorious, and he only invited three individuals to come see this take place, as if to take the veil that hid his glory, the veil of his own flesh, that hid his glory of who he was, as if to remove that to see within this veil and see who he really was. He was as bright as the sun, and it freaked out Peter, James, and John. And then just as they're about to freak out and do all kinds of strange things to try to figure out what they're supposed to do here, two other individuals appear next to Jesus, and they have this conversation. The two individuals are Moses, obviously, who has died and gone to heaven and is now appearing in, in this situation, talking to Jesus and Elijah. Now, this is now representing the law and the prophets. The greatest of each of those sets of people, okay, are now talking with Jesus. And then as soon as they show up and this conversation takes place, this glory cloud, which is reminiscent of the Old Testament glory cloud, the presence of God leading the people through the wilderness, envelops them, and the glory cloud is bright also, and it's continuing to freak out Peter, James, and John. And then out of the cloud comes a loud voice, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Now, I hadn't really thought about it. I was always trying to figure out, listen to him, what? Because in one gospel, it's talking about how they were talking about Jesus' departure, his death. And they were just, Moses and Elijah are just in awe. Because now from heaven, they understand what's going to take place, and they're just asking questions, interacting. Peter, James, and John have no clue what this discussion is about. All they hear is the voice of God saying, this is my son, Listen to him. But if we go back to Deuteronomy, it is very much, there's a prophet that's going to come like Moses. And it says, listen to him. Same phrase. Listen to him. So I think the gem is this. Listen to Jesus. What he says is bigger than Moses. What he says is bigger than all the prophets. Listen to him. This is huge. And there's this glory that transfers as you listen to Jesus. And it transfers to us. The reason we're not shining in our culture today in 2021 is we have failed to listen to Jesus. And we listen to other voices and we listen to other worldviews and we get scared and we wonder what's going to happen. We grab this person's narrative and this person's narrative and that person's narrative. We need to listen to Jesus. And if we listen to Jesus, we're going to shine in a world that's lost and frightened and in darkness and doesn't know where things are going, we will be leading the way. This gem gets even more marvelous if we dig deeper. The Apostle John was the youngest of the twelve at the time. And when he's now an old man, he pens these words in one of the... uh, he pens these words in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. Even Moses only saw God's veiled glory. 
and after God protected him. But then he says, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. So not only has Jesus seen him, he's at the father's side. He came from the father's side. He's the one who revealed him. So in his gospel, John, in his old age, writing that, and with the help of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself, is saying, listen to him. If you want to know God, listen to Jesus. He has seen him. He comes from his side. In fact, he says, he's the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. Now, I'm building up to something. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. We've been talking about God's glory and the shining glory of God. Where do we see that? The light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And so here's a one-liner that I put together for you just If you want to know God personally, look into the face of Jesus. There's the gem, okay? If you want to know God personally, look into the face of Jesus. Now, we've been in this series for five weeks. This is the conclusion of the series, and we started with this theme verse, and I'm going back to this theme verse, and we're going to have three surprises come out of the theme verse that I haven't told you until now. At least I don't think I did. First Chronicles 16.11 is their theme verse. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. There's the verse that we got the title, his presence. We're to seek his presence continually. What I, you probably notice because you all have your own translations that you're reading out of. Um, many translations, and two of them I'll just name here, the CSB and the NIV, um, say seek his face Because that word, translated presence, can also be accurately translated face. Seek his face continually. Now, I want you to notice that Paul already wrote to us, and I read it earlier, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul said, if you want to know God, look into the face of Jesus. So when we're talking about seeking the presence of God, seeking God's presence, look into the face of Jesus of Jesus according to Paul and even first chronicles is getting at that though i think old testament readers would have never known here's a couple of surprises first chronicles 16:11 and psalms 105:4 read word for word identically the same in fact first chronicles 16 and psalm 105 have the same song the same psalm that David wrote when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the tabernacle after being separated from the people for a long time and they celebrated together and David wrote this hymn that entered into the Jewish hymnal which we call Psalms. And it's this key theme verse for us, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. So in week one, we talked about the place of the presence of God has shifted. It shifted from this tabernacle into the more permanent dwelling, the temple, which shifted then into a more eternal dwelling, which was God's own son's body who tabernacled in our midst. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He tabernacled in our midst. The presence of God was in his body. And then he says, I must, send, I must go to heaven. It's better for you because I'll pour out my spirit so that now the permanent temple of the spirit is dynamically within us. We shine only because of what Jesus has done. This is inspiration. This is God's plan. He, because of his crucifixion and resurrection, has now enabled us by the washing clean of the crucifixion, placing the resurrection power of the Spirit himself within us to resurrect us out of our dead ways and shine through our lives, and we seek his face continually, and we will glow. I think in our world, I've not seen it physically. It's very metaphoric. And I think that even Paul describes how your life is hidden in Christ. There's a hidden reality of spiritual things in your life that's glory that shows up on the outside in a way to be interpreted that is the work of the Spirit as you seek the face of Jesus. And it's so intimate. It's better than David experienced writing this theme verse. And he was a worshiper seeking the face of God. But we have an ability to seek the face of God much more intimately because God is now in us and living through us and shining through us. The time is now for us. In John 15, 5, this is not on the screen. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. John 15, 5. Colossians 1, 27, just the phrase, not the whole verse. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit in you is Christ in you. It is God in you. Father, Son, and Spirit through the Spirit is Christ in you. As a result of the glory of the crucifixion and resurrection. Now, I want to say, the time is now. You're used to going, oh, wow, that is a gem. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to help you. Bow your heads. Now, with your eye peeked open, if you're taking notes, I want you to do something for me. I mentioned a couple of verses. I want you to jot down just the chapters, John 15 and Colossians 1. I do want you later to read it and read it and read it and reread it. Spend time looking into the face of Jesus as you read it. Get to know Jesus, get to know God. Here's a personal story. I just want you to just prayerfully hear me. Several years before that 1978 graduation, my freshman year, this would be 47 years ago, on a couch in the high school youth room, and I don't even know exactly why. I wasn't out with everybody else. I read through John chapter 11. And I was looking into the face of Jesus for the first time, personally. Oh, I had read scripture before. I had scripture read to me all my life long. I had learned lots of lessons. But I was seeking, personally, Jesus. And I was reading scripture. And it was like it came to life in John 11 for me. I felt the emotions. I felt like I was there. And something inside opened up. Paul describes it as, the eyes of my heart were enlightened. 
And I'll tell you something, although I've never really had a habit of reading scripture on my own, I wanted more. My freshman year, reading John 11. Open the book, read, reread, seek the face of Jesus, and get to know God till your eyes of your hearts opened and you want more. I tell you, my dad was a preacher. I had heard so many sermons. My mom taught my Sunday school class for years and years and years. I had learned so many lessons. It wasn't until in my heart I sought and read and sought the face of Jesus that something opened inside. And this was years after my baptism. What is your daily devotion like? Are you seeking the face of Jesus? You're going to start to shine only in that interchange. Our church is suffering. Churches across America are suffering because we're waiting for somebody else to spoon feed us the word of God. Some people always say, oh, I love it when you give us deep stuff. Listen, deep stuff only comes when you chew the meat yourself. I cannot chew the meat for you. I do, actually. And guess what happens? If I chew the meat for you, and by the time it gets to you, no matter how deep you think it is, it's milk. I have pre-digested it. I've given it to you in a way that you can get a hold of something. It's just milk. Until you crack the book and you seek the face of Jesus, your heart's going to stay in this not as bright a condition. Devote daily. Seek his presence. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Remember, if you are not filled with the Spirit, the problem is not that God isn't filling you. The problem is that you are filled with something else. Romans 13, 11 through 12 reads this way, Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Some of you lifted your heads and saw that on the screen. That's great. I want you to bow your heads again because the time is now. And if you keep your eyes open enough to write something down, I'd like you to write something down. But I'm going to ask you some questions. What do you need to discard? This says it's time to discard the deeds of darkness. If you're not feeling filled with the Spirit and filled with His presence and shining in your interchanges with other people, what is filling you instead of Him? What is it that you need to discard? Until you discard that, you're having difficulty saying yes to Jesus. You've got to figure out what you need to say no to that's blocking Jesus. So we've been talking about a remedy. Point number three, you can look up now, is results. In John 15, 11, here's the results. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's the results, that his joy will be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
The joy that Jesus calls my joy cannot be found in the cul-de-sac of self. We are so busy hunting for joy in the cul-de-sac of self. The whole concept of shining is outside of the cul-de-sac. It's not about self. Last week, Doug Bridge did a great job to remind you what joy is. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. That's where joy is found. Joy. It's amped. My joy is amped when the Holy Spirit shines through you and blesses another person. Until that joy shines through you and blesses another person, it's a small joy. Some of us, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going here anyway. We, we treat Bible study as if it's like sharpening our pencil. Imagine just going, I love sharpening pencil. I love sharpening pencil. Oh, my pencil's really short. I need another pencil. Oh, I love Bible study. Oh, I love Bible study. Oh, my pencil's too short. And we go through a ton of pencils because we love pencil sharpening, but we've never written a thing. We've completely missed the boat of what Bible study is for. It's not the cul-de-sac of self. It's so that we will shine in the lives of others and share the good news. Do you love pencil sharpening? Well, it's great. But do more than just, I love what it does for me. My joy, my joy. That's not Jesus' joy. His joy is made complete when you bear fruit with his joy. And it's amped when it's joy for another. And we are so swallowed up in a me, me Christianity that we've lost sight of what the whole thing is about. Where we bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we just are excited with the joy that flows through us as a result. So point number four is the word imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now I highlighted the word ask or imagine and we want to pause and pray because the time is now. Would you bow your head? The time is now. Here's what I'm asking. I want you to imagine more and ask for more. I want you to imagine more that Jesus wants to do through you than you're imagining so far. I want you to ask for more that Jesus wants to do through you than you've been asking so far. And then I want to remind you that he can give you more than you can even imagine and ask, but have you been asking and imagining? I want you to ask and imagine according to your life shining to the glory of Jesus and ask for his help. Amen? And we're going to conclude with our theme verse, which has been our theme verse for the five weeks. It's our finale. Would you stand with me? And I would like you to read it with me out loud. 
and affirm this is where you're going with this. So that we don't just leave this series behind as, oh, that was good. That was good information. I don't want it to be good information. I want it to be transformation. I don't want it to be merely information. I want it to be inspired transformation where we seek the face of Jesus in such a way that we just are set aglow by the Spirit filling our lives. So much so that it's easy to say no to the stuff that's getting in the way because we want more joy. All right, so let's read this together. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. All right, we're going to do that again because I'm not sure I'm convinced that this is where you want to go with this yet. All right, let's say it again. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Lord God, we want your presence. We want your strength we are unable to bring fruit and bear fruit apart from you. You've told us that apart from you, we can do nothing. We tend to go our own way and ignore you. We don't want to be like that. We want to shine. We humble ourselves before you. We seek your heart. We seek your face. Allow our hearts to be opened and our lives to be filled with the joy that comes from you and allow that joy to come through us that we begin to see other people the way you do and that we begin to share that joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.